So they just started their journey, as so many of us did, in the waters of baptism, being buried in death to sin and raised to new life, which is the beginning of a journey that we together are on. And this is also like the beginning of a time of year where life is really crazy, hectic, insane, busy. School started. Work never stopped. For some of us, the other job never stopped. Kids have started the fall sports. You've got football happening. There's track happening. You may have 4-H going on. Uh, Some kids uh, may have ninja school. There are so many things going on in our lives, and then you all have integrated into each one of those things, being the light and the love of Christ, which requires us to be in our communities. And then, uh, as I'm sure some of you have have experienced, there'll be a, a distant family member or an old friend that is from out of town, and they'll text you, hey, coming through town, be there in five minutes, and you're like, oh, and you're looking at your house, and you're looking at your house, oh, great, so can't wait to see you, right? um, Don't we all say that, just looking forward to seeing you, and do the 90 mile an hour flight of the bumblebee, try to clean everything up as fast as we possibly can, and when they get there, we all say, say it with me, excuse the mess. It's totally understandable. Our lives sometimes operate at a breakneck speed. And then a friend comes crashing in, and of course, the friend is more important than what your house looks like. But that's an understandable excuse the mess. There are these other excuse the messes that are not so understandable. Those excuse the messes take place like around Christmas, because that's predictable, right? Christmas is basically the same time every year. What about Thanksgiving? Predictable? Very predictable. Uh, When your family calls and says, in seven months or whatever, we're going to come visit. Very predictable. In those cases, it's not understandable at all to say, excuse the mess. I remember West Coast family, my grandmother's sister, they like visited one time in two decades, I think, of my growing up near Grandma Pat's house. We heard they were coming. Um, The way I heard that she was uh, going to have her sister and husband from the West Coast was being voluntold that I was going to grandma's house to help clean because aunt so-and-so I've never met in my entire life was going to be there in June. And I'm like, it's April. That's okay. You're going to go to grandma's house and you're going to wipe the baseboards because you got to get ready for company. It's not understandable to say excuse the mess when you know that people are coming. Likewise, in the church, Jesus expects that each one of us doesn't excuse the mess of our sin, but that we grow up into maturity in Christ. John says that if we abide in him, then he abides in us and he produces fruit. So if we stay in him, he's going to produce fruit in us. Unless we let the mess of life start to crowd him out and we do not abide, or we let sin remain. Our growth into the likeness of Christ will be stunted when we do not deal with our mess, with our sin. When we do not deal with it, the mission of Christ is maligned. It's like a piece of the body gets chopped off. Maybe the leg is chopped and the arm is amputated and the mouth is muted and the good news can no longer 
be proclaimed because the body of Christ is broken because she's run through with sin and she's ineffective. Imagine our Floyd Central Highlanders or our North Harrison, um, help me, Cougars. Yes, I got it right. Uh, Cougars fielding a team of 11 on a Friday night. The lights are on and two of the players can walk and the rest are hobbling because they're injured. There is no way they're moving the ball, let alone scoring a goal, because when the team is wounded, you really can't effectively accomplish the mission. We can't similarly excuse the mess. We have to fight the sin that is within our body. We cannot say excuse the mess when it comes to our sin. For instance, the Catholic Church has tried to excuse the mess for uh, just decades running on end. And you've seen it recently in the news. The sin has come to light. It's actually made it from inside the church where it was uh, kind of shuffled under the rug or maybe just ignored. And now it's in the public. It's in the media. It's a headline every week about how sin wasn't dealt with. So consequently, the Catholic Church, by and large, has then lost her ability to speak with any kind of force, with any kind of power, with any kind of credibility, because it's abundantly clear that within her own ranks, she is unable to deal with sin. And remember what it is that we're selling. Remember what it is that we're sharing. It's the good news that we have new life in Christ, that we can be cleansed from our sin. But if you ignore the sin in your own life, if we collectively as a biblical community say, "Uh, excuse the mess, guys, there's just a bunch of sinners in here and I'm never going to try to change my habits, then we've got a mess. And not everybody sounds like an angry old trucker that has sin. I don't know where he came from. Uh, Okay, so uh, we're going to go through three steps uh, to, to clean up the mess of sin in a biblical community, because we will not excuse sin in our community. We won't excuse the mess because He's given us a grace that allows us to live new lives. Pause. Do you guys hear my friend over here? Everybody say, hey, Jordan, tell me your name again. Tell me her name again. McKenna, thank you. Say, hey, McKenna. And for everybody on podcast, the reason we're going to talk about McKenna briefly is because we have openings in the nursery, and while we all love McKenna being with us, you need to sign your butt up to work in the nursery, because Jordan might like to take notes. Not that I have anything worth noting, but just in case. Okay, I didn't mean to imply that. Anyway, I'm very happy McKenna's here, but uh, you need to sign up to work in the nursery. All right. So we're not righteous because of our deeds. It is by His grace alone. So Jesus asks us to participate in this grace. It's not just dumped on us and like, ta-da, we're all fresh and clean. We have a participatory role. Jesus cleans up our mess. Let me get me in here because I'll share some of my mess with you today. We need to be in a community to have our mess cleaned up by Jesus. Now, you examine that statement today as we go through Matthew 7, Galatians 6, and Matthew 18. Examine my statement. The mess of sin in our lives is cleaned up in a biblical community. Would you pray with me? Father God, 
thank you for the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. Thank you for your word dividing between bones and marrow, soul and spirit, alive and active. Thank you for your church where we can gather as your body. Please help us grow up into Christ. Make us like him. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So join me in Matthew chapter 7. It'll be like a little read-along. I want you guys to read the very first verse with me out loud, because you've all heard it a hundred billion times, and I think we need to see it a little differently today. So with me, would you read, judge not that you be not judged. And we can't understand this as a get-out-of-jail-free card. As long as I don't judge, then I'll never be judged. It doesn't work that way. There is a judgment day. We'll be judged. Trust me. However, this is how. I'll read, but I would like you to say, whenever you see judgment or judgy or judgy mcjudger face, I want you to say those things, okay? So, for with the you pronounce, you'll be and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Verse 4, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So does Jesus say that we should not judge people? Emphatically, no. Uh, Verse 5 is, uh, we'll call this pudding, and the proof is right in it, because he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then what happens? We judge people, okay? So we're going to judge people, because it's part of what Jesus instructs us to do. People smarter than I have talked about how in verse 1, judge not lest ye be judged. Grammar, blah, blah, I don't know. What I do know is it sounds more like, and I'm not going to retranslate your Bible, but don't be characterized by a spirit of judgmentalism, especially with a log in your eye. So um, that means me, and that means you, and that means we have a critical job to do to remove the log from our own eye and to judge our brothers and sisters. So we learned about biblical repentance, and that was it. I'm just going to, I'm reviewing for my own sake. You guys already know this. You remember in April when I talked all about what repentance is, and you remember all of the steps of repentance, so you don't have to raise your hands and say, you remember. I know you remember. But step number one was to call a sin a sin, was to recognize the wrong that was against God. Step two was to not try DIY redemption because it works out bad. It leads to death. Judas hanged himself. He could not fix his sin. The Pharisees and Sadducees said, oh, Abraham's our father. We're all good. Did not work out well for them either. David, on the other hand, David was overwhelmed by the disgusting nature of his sin. That's the kind of heart we're looking for. We each want to have a heart that says, that's repulsive. Do you remember Nathan? Oh, wait, Nathan. Yeah, so Nathan talked to David. So Nathan actually confronted somebody about sin. It sounds like 
You examine this for yourself, but it sounds like there's a biblical community at play. And so when he talked to, to David, then David saw, all of a sudden, he saw his sin for what it was. Disgusting. That's how my sin looks. I'm going to share a little with you today. It's very disgusting, I can assure you. And uh, I thank God for grace. But I will share with you my acts of disgusting revulsion and my need for repentance just as well. I'm not an up here finger pointer. I'm an up here, man, look at the word with me. This biblical community requires that we remove a log from our eye because we're required to judge as a community. Should we choose to be super nicey-nice and not judge, we can become like the Catholic Church who has no more credibility to share anything about hope. It's gone. They've emaciated it by ignoring the mess. So we have to recognize the wrong, call us in a sin. We have to trust God to apply grace to our hearts and lives by his biblical community and by his Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. Third, we have to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Paul writes it this way to the Corinthians. Uh, it's actually when he's observing their repentant ways. That's why he writes, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And he goes on to say it produces fruit. So, so how will we know if we've repented, if we've recognized the wrong, if we've trusted God for grace and we've begun to produce fruit? Because presumably we'll be living in a biblical community that will identify the fact that, hey, your life looks different. There's some fruit here that wasn't there before. Repentance takes place inside of a biblical community. Jesus asks us to judge one another from a self-aware perspective, to take the log out of our own eye so that when we're going to a brother or sister it's as though we're meeting at the foot of the cross that we both need. We are wholly helpless to reach brothers and sisters stuck in sin if we ourselves continuously say, just excuse the mess. If we take Matthew 7 to mean never judge, we'll end up a church of amputated legs, of no arms. Imagine just a really, really large mouth spewing hate and condemnation to a world that's waiting to hear about the love of Christ. We can't be that we must judge ourselves. Jesus also makes clear that we should judge one another. But how should we judge one another? Point number two, Paul writes in Galatians 6, 1. Point number one, if you're taking notes, we must judge one another. Number two, gently. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We must approach sin in a spirit of gentleness. Have you ever approached a brother or sister caught in sin? Just think for one second with me. Let it be quiet. 
allow yourself to recall, have I ever approached a brother or sister in sin? When I did that, what was the motivation? What was the condition of my heart? What was I hoping would come from it? Was it restoration? Or do you just want to drag all of their dirty laundry out? You can do that gently. You can drag dirty laundry out gently. That's just gossip. We don't do gossip. If you approach an elder or a staff person here, they're going to ask that you approach a brother and sister in gentleness. And then they're going to turn to our next point, Matthew 18. We're not there yet. Told you I'd drag my disastrous mess out in front of you today. So uh, you guys might have heard this little culturalism that uh, I ill-adopted in my own life. Okay, I borrowed this thing that sounded, it sounded very Ephesians 5-y, right? Like, husbands, you got to lay down your life for your wife, right? Take the bullet and be the man and defend your wife, whatever. Because one time, my uh, very favorite oldest child was uh, speaking in a way that wasn't my favorite towards my wife. And I responded out of lots of anger. And I was going to be a big man and say, you don't treat your mom that way because she's my wife, which is true. Those are facts. But I left gentleness like 500 miles in the rearview mirror. And the attitude was not improved. Uh, although I communicated all of the facts very clearly um, at a... I'm quite confident it was audible. We'll say that. No problem hearing. None at all. I then had to go back and say, I really jacked up. And I said it just like this. Said I'm being a big crybaby right now. Because I don't mean to speak to you that way. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. I'm forgiven. But man, did I jack that up in the most epic way possible. But it's so clear when you approach a brother and sister, or brother or a sister, when you approach them in humility. You're not in front of them or behind them pointing that finger. You're, you're beside them. You're, you're together at the foot of a cross that we all need. And you're together there. And it sounds more like I'm a big hot mess. You're a big hot mess. But can I ask you some questions that may put our friendship at risk? It may really blow up what I think we have, and it's beautiful. I love being your friend. But can I ask if this lifestyle is something that may be true in your life? I tried this, friends. I sat beside a friend, and I said, is this true? And two families, because of courage on the part of my brother to say, that's true. I'm done with that. Two families now live different lives. I didn't do anything magical but say, 
I'm with you here at the foot of the cross, and I need this grace that I think you need. Is it at work in your heart and life right now? We're like a hungry beggar letting another hungry beggar know where to find bread because we're all sinners, and we all need grace. So our third and final step, I'll review really quickly. We must judge ourselves, number one, in a biblical community, we must judge ourselves or our credibility is out the window. We must act in a spirit of gentleness. And finally, we must follow Jesus' pattern. If you want to turn to Matthew 18, it's okay if some of you are folding over the corner here because you got to go back to it later. Because we're a community of sinners who are going to encounter sin, are we not? Like, just admit it. Like, I'm a sinner. We're all a sinner, and we're going to run into people in a biblical community who are, guess what? Sinners. So we're going to need to know where this is and how to apply it in our own biblical community, Georgetown Christian Church. Matthew 18, 15. I'll read. If you want to follow along in your scriptures or on the screen, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So we're seeking restoration in a spirit of humility. Now, have you ever had a rumor started about you? I want volunteers. Now, don't actually do this. But I'd have a person air-quoting over there and a person air-quoting over here. In the middle, I would stand and say, I had a friend... Okay, I'm not hurt at all, I promise. I had a friend start a rumor about me, and this big air quotes friend started this rumor that once it was out, I felt totally powerless to defend against it because there was a hint of truth. I felt utterly undone. But instead of seeking biblical reconciliation, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to graduate next month. It's fine, whatever. He's a moron. As a result of that, I have to, on a continual basis, remind myself that I need the grace (laughs) that I need to be offering him because it still comes up in my own heart. I still have to think about that and still have to say, uh, Lord, would you please help me forgive him again because it was so intensely painful. So, If you've ever had that happen, uh, that's the perfect example of how to destroy a biblical community. Imagine looking for hope and help and just thinking, this is it today. I'm going to find the light and the love that comes with a relationship with Jesus. And surely I'll experience that in his community. But when you get to his community, they're all infighting and backbiting and finger pointing and starting rumors and becoming hateful towards one another. And there's no expression of love other than like loving to call somebody out. That's why Jesus says, go directly to the sinner. His explicit instructions are to go directly to the sinner. So we do not tolerate gossip. I've never seen an elder here tolerate a he said, she said. In fact, what I've seen more times than I want to, but I'm glad that we're dealing with it biblically is, all right, where are we in Matthew 18? Do you need help? 
because they're ready to restore a brother gently and to walk through this pattern that Jesus gives us. So we have to judge ourselves. We have to judge one another. We have to approach it in a spirit of gentleness, and then we have to follow Jesus' pattern. So step number two in this final step is Matthew 18, 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So this is Jesus quoting Deuteronomy. There's probably a footnote in your scriptures where Jesus is hearkening back to the Old Testament law and saying, remember back there when someone was going to be accused of something and they were going to be brought to trial or they were going to have to serve some kind of sentence? There has to be evidence. There has to be two or three witnesses. This is the pattern Jesus gives us. Maybe there need to be some witnesses that say, we see this sin, and gently say, we're all together in the same body of Christ, pursuing unity and restoration. So th- this is step number two, and I think you, you test the scriptures, but I think this requires biblical community. I think it requires something smaller than the whole assembly. Let's go on to the next verse and see if there's any truth to that claim. Uh, this is the final step. Attempt to approach the sinner with the whole body. So I'm going to interject here between number, steps number two and three. There's going to be a conversation with the elders or staff. You're going to need to do that because you can't just come up and grab a mic and be like, Billy's a dirtbag! I saw it! That's not how it works. Um, let's read here because it says not to do that. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Those were people that were really not looked upon as someone they want to bring into their biblical community and trust them with their authenticity and transparency and try to grow into unity with them. They were looked as, uh, looked at as someone who needed the love of Christ and should be shown that love, but not as one who belongs inside the biblical community where we judge one another, where we approach each other in gentleness, where we see someone else at the foot of the cross because they're there too. Uh, The tax collector and the Gentile, they're not there right now. That's an outsider. So when you get, you know, between steps two and three, somewhere in there, you're going to have a conversation, if you're following Jesus' pattern, with an elder or a staff person at Georgetown Christian because at some point here we've missed something. It sounds like Jesus expects this too because he says, if he refuses to listen. So Jesus knows that our hearts are going to be hardened by big three, pride, sin, and the trials of life. They make our hearts so hard that we can't hear or see or feel any kind of call to repentance. And sometimes it's by biblical community that we get through, like right here. And sometimes it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit slowly working on our hearts and saying, come back, come back, come back to the foot of the cross where we all experience the grace that we need. We must, to be a biblical community, a community that has the credibility to share the greatest news, that we're transformed, we are made new, we're given new hearts. We must judge ourselves. We must judge others who are brothers and sisters in a spirit of gentleness, and we must follow Jesus' pattern for restoration. 
It's my belief that if we are to clean up the mess that's in our heart and life, it requires a biblical community. If you're not currently in a biblical community, I cannot imagine a biblical reason for you to say, I'll take care of that later. If you've got one, I'm welcoming you to show that to me. But if you don't, you're compelled as one who calls himself a Christ follower to today make the decision to put yourself amongst a community of believers who are following the word, yielding to the spirit and saying, Christ is my Lord. That means he's my boss and in control of my behaviors and my mouth and all the things that need forgiven included. He's my Lord. If you've not done that, that's time for you to do that today. Would you bow your heads? Consider these things. Growth, our growth, if we're already a Christ follower, our growth requires a biblical community. Biblical community takes guts. It takes commitment to transparency. Robin talked about this last week, to authenticity, to humility, to the willingness to say, I need help. Biblical community requires a deep commitment to seeing Christ formed in one another. It becomes a priority in your schedule. It goes first on your calendar. If you're unwilling to confront sin, do not join any group. Do not join an elective. If you're unwilling to change your own sinful habit, your own sinful lifestyle, and conform to the image and likeness of Christ, I believe it's clear from Scripture that you need to stop calling yourself a Christian because a Christian is a Christ follower. And if you're unwilling to follow Christ, you're definitively then not a Christian. And you're ruining the witness of those who have a testimony of transformation in Christ because of their willingness to yield their mess to him. Maybe it's time to repent. Maybe it's time to find a spiritual counselor and say, I don't know what my next step is, but I got a mess and I need to clean it up. Help me apply God's grace to my own heart and life. Georgetown Christian is not going to be a Corinthian church. She's not going to be a Catholic cover-up church. We're going to be a biblical community of Jesus followers who do not excuse the mess, but call the power of the cross to work in our hearts and lives that he might receive the glory and that our community might then know the power of the gospel at work in their hearts and lives. They might see the hope that we have because we're willing to yield the mess. We are going to trust Jesus with our salvation and our sin, and that happens in a biblical community. Now's the time. If you need to find yourself with a counselor at the welcome wall, go do it. Go find that counselor who's going to talk with you and walk with you for your next steps of growth in Christ. I'm going to pray for our obedience right now. Father God, I pray that you would be giving us the courage to have obedience to what the Holy Spirit is saying to our hearts, that the Holy Spirit is leading us to do right now, that you Father, would convict us, that you would help us to live a life that's pleasing to you by turning over our mess, judging ourselves, judging others in a spirit of gentleness, following your pattern for restoration. Father, help us to say it out loud in our biblical community. I need grace. Help me apply it. And if you don't have that community, you need to find that at the welcome wall today. Father God, I 
thank you for the opportunity you give us to be redeemed, to take the big mess of our lives and to turn it into the image of your son that we might reflect your grace, that we might reflect your glory, that we might be image bearers of the hope that you have given us because of the work of Christ on the cross. Father, make that true in every one of our lives. And all God's people said, Amen.